Welcome to episode two of Around the League with Tuan and Nav, where we are once again recording live from our quarantine headquarters. Today I'm in uh, the den in my condo, and I really hope that the echo doesn't carry to the uh, to the mic, but a little bit of an echo, so I do apologize if uh, if you hear that. Tuan, what's up? Not much, man. Same spot as the first pod. Chilling in my parents' bedroom. You know, not ideal for a 30-year-old, but... You got to do what you got to do in this quarantine, right? Still three dogs? <laughs> oh, how do I tell you this? Got down to one. No. <laughs> no, we still got three healthy dogs. You know, I don't want to get in trouble with any animal protection rights. Amazing. Hey, before we, before we start this episode, I just want to give a quick shout out to Game Tape Sessions. Uh, quick shout out to David Drago and Mike Espo. Uh, reason being is Dave's been helping us quite a bit with uh, sound and production and sort of putting this thing together. Uh, they're, I think, 100 episodes into their podcast, so they've been doing that for a while now. Um, great sports content, so I highly recommend um, if you enjoy sports podcasts, giving them, a, giving, them a, uh, giving them a listen. Yeah, I really appreciate them helping us out, not asking for anything uh, in return, so definitely appreciate um, everything that you're doing for us. Yeah, man. So I was thinking we can call this series MJ Mondays because that's going to be the theme uh, for the Mondays going forward because of the last dance. Um, today, we're going to cover episodes one to four, but then going forward, we're going to cover um, the two episodes that get released weekly. And yeah, I mean, documentary is amazing. And I think it's honestly keeping me sane right now. Yeah, likewise. Um, something that's been sorely needed for for the six, seven week quarantine period that we've been in. Um, like me and you, we've been so used to just watching basketball, hockey, whatever sports that's on year round. So it feels weird not to have kind of that live event, uh, especially in this time right now where it should be the um, Eastern Conference semifinals. Uh, starting or at least being um, in progress at this time so much needed and what a well done and well executed and just great production on the on the whole thing so yeah, far man. in the four it's, episodes that we've seen it's almost like live sports because for a lot of our generation we never caught any of this footage like we never got to see mj in his prime so for me personally like this is all new stuff yeah, it's we we were way well, me being born in the '90s, um, still too young to really um, watch any of the games live, and there's just not that many articles or just um, much much stuff you can find online that um, that I wanted to read. So this is just an easy way for me to um, really enjoy and kind of understand how big of a figure and um, athlete. Michael Jordan and Chicago Bulls are. Yeah, it's, it's, it's probably the best content right now on TV. And shout out to Netflix for not dumping it all in one, uh, in one go and sort of giving it to us weekly. I honestly think if, if, they, if they released every episode, I would have A, binged it immediately. I would have been up to like 3, 4 in the morning. And then B, I'd, I think I'd be clinically depressed because I'd have nothing else to look forward to. Yeah, I know. If this wasn't on 
uh, every Monday. I'd probably wa- be watching last year's playoff run like hundred, like ten times through, which I've done already. It's just this is just a nice, refreshing content that uh, that we all need, and it's uh, definitely something that um, we're all enjoying so far. Yeah, man. Aside from this, are you watching anything right now in isolation? Uh, not so much. Like we were, uh, Jackie and I were watching the Innocence File, kind of some dark shit. Just, Is that uh, on Netflix? Yeah, it's on Netflix. Just talking about people who were wrongly accused and convicted of crimes, and then um, a group of people or a group of um, lawyers trying to get them out. Um, but yeah, that's a good show. I've been playing more games, so I got to switch. So I've been playing Overcooked with Judy, I'm trying to do things together. Uh, in this time, you know, trying to keep saying, what have you and uh, Shona been doing? Has Shona, has Shona been watching The Last Dance with you? Or oh, has yeah. it she, been a solo? She watches, it. she watches it with me for sure. She's actually nice. really into it. Um, I heard her say something really funny to a friend. She's like, it's really cool to watch because, you know, it's like a really, you know, a really good like sports figure. So it's like it's engaging. I'm like, no, it's like the best player <laughs> to do anything in any sport. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is the best of the best. One of the best people or like person, people, player, athlete, whatever, um, to do anything within his own field. Yeah. Other, I mean, other than this, uh, we finished Ozark season three, which was nuts. So good. And um, we're three seasons into The Wire, which I'm really liking as well. It's kind of like it's a good time to, I don't know, catch up on shows. Usually I feel not guilty for watching TV, but... And with work and stuff, um, it's hard to find the time, especially when like there's a there's a there's a series that has you know five six seasons. So I mean, now's a perfect time. Yeah, I've heard really good things about Ozark, and I have season two of The Wire on DVD for some reason. Never like, seen any of it, and I don't even have season or season one. I just have season two somewhere in my closet. So if you ever need a DVD set you know i got you no spare yourself because honestly the one thing i wanted to say was season two might be the worst season how many seasons do they have there's five but we almost gave up on the show because of season two wow are you glad you're i'm I'm assuming you're glad that you kept kept through and are watching it through uh through season three yeah i mean we yeah we had to persist but uh it's definitely been worth it nice but yeah, let's uh, let's jump into the show. So, The Last Dance, um, episode one. I mean, what was your takeaway from production in general? Like, what were your initial thoughts? The one thing I I thought right away after the first two episodes was how well the interviews with Jordan were going, and kind of you know him just sitting in his house, and then them showing him videos of people or plays or whatever, and him giving. His, insi- his insights and his feedback on those specific <clears throat> scenarios or situations. Um, he comes off really well-spoken, even during like the flashbacks of him um, in high school and college, uh, them doing interviews, just very well-spoken as an individual and just very proper. And you kind of see him grow <clears throat> throughout the footage of him being very humble Um very like down to earth and then he just kind of still has that throughout his career as they show the footage from high school college in the nba 
but you just tell um, that his body language is a little different um, and just the way he's speaking and talking about winning and um, about the other team. Uh, it's very, very cool to see that mentality. And I was very motivated after the first two episodes, man, um, just to like, just do something or just like to get better because of how like um, well the story was told uh, through kind of the director's lens and then as well through kind of uh, Jordan's words. Yeah, man, like it's really cool. And I wrote this down because I was taking some notes. One of the things I wrote down is it's really cool to see like the human side of Jordan. Um, I think growing up, he wasn't really human. You know, everything that you read from a third party made him seem like, seem like he was like larger than life. Um, Space Jam or, you know, you could watch YouTube clips of him. But then you'd get glimpses like in the Hall of Fame speech where he was like super funny. That that speech is hilarious. Or the Kobe Bryant Memorial where he was super uh, transparent. And like, you know, when you watch, when you listen to things like that, you want to get to know like that Jordan. And I think that's what we're getting. Um, it's cool to see the human side of him. And he's just, yeah, like, like you said, he's a really engaging guy to listen to. Yeah, he sounds very genuine in the, in the interviews that he's giving. You don't hear too much. He doesn't, he's not in the press too much, even though he's really the owner of the Hornets. He had, that's not going too well. So I'm not sure that's going to be obviously going to be brought up in the show. But um, he doesn't give too many interviews. He's not in the public eye too much um, anymore. So uh, it is a really cool way for, for us in the younger generation um, to kind of see his thoughts on basically on the dynasty that revolutionized basketball. Yeah, man. And you can't help but notice, you know, he's got a c- cigar beside him. And uh, a drink that I thought was probably like a scotch or a whiskey. Do you know what he's drinking in the show? No, what is it? So it's a tequila. It's called uh, Sincoro. My boy. And he start, yeah, he started the company with the owner of the Lakers, Celtics, and Buck in the Bucks. So the four of them own this tequila company. Oh, I've I've seen that picture. I've I didn't know I didn't know it was a it was a, a tequila move, but uh, I've seen that picture. That's cool. Yeah, he's sipping tequila, and I guess uh, bottles can go as high as eighteen hundred bucks. Jeez, I didn't know I could like MJ even more now, but damn, yeah, big goals. tequila guy myself. So, oh, so true. <laughs> <laughs> at uh, at work, they call me Tequila Tuan. I won't go into it, but yeah, that's that's my nickname at work. We'll figure out a time where you can do some storytelling and tell us about uh, Tequila Tuan. <laughs> But I just thought when this whole isolation thing gets lifted and we all get together, who knows, it might be a good opportunity to buy a bottle. Yeah, pitch in four or five hundred bucks each. Good to go. <laughs> <laughs> all that money we're saving right now. Why not, right? Exactly. But yeah, like the one, the one thing um, that blindsided me immediately in the show is that they go right into front office dysfunction. Like the first thing that they touch on in the show is um, you know, they're, they just won two in a row. Um, they're trying to get their third championship and they've already been notified by front office that this might be the last year that the team is together. Yeah. Well, that's, that's all rooted in Jerry Krause's comments being the, the GM that kind of built up that dynasty. And I think he just had, or he was just envious of all the attention um, that Phil, Michael, Scotty, and uh, Dennis got. There's just so many different personalities 
uh, within that organization. And he even said that, yeah, organizations win championships. And Michael uh, refuted that, saying basically, you, like, I have to be on the floor and I'm the one who's getting the buckets and stopping other players from scoring. So really, it's the players um, that, that win the championships. But really, I think he was just um, a bit jealous and envious of, of everything that uh, that the other guys in that organization got uh, instead of him. Yeah, I mean, let's go into Jerry Krause. Um, but before we do, yeah, like Mike, like like you said, Jordan basically says, we're entitled to defend what we have until we lose it. And then he also says, you should have some respect for the people that laid the groundwork so that your organization could be successful. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, I don't want to be like too philosophical, but it's like the chicken or the egg, right? It's like, do is it because of what he put together that they were able to perform and uh, do well and build this dynasty or you know did he just get lucky and it really is just on the players and didn't really matter who you put around Jordan he would have been able to succeed um, either way uh, maybe yeah. not to the level that he got to but um, yeah I think that's where he's coming from uh, it, w- it, it did take me um, a bit by surprise that he even said that even if you go 82 and 0 I, I don't know what the um I don't know what the landscape of the NBA was before, because obviously I didn't watch it in the in the early '90s. But how do you, how, even hypothetically, they say they go 82 and 0 win the championship? How can you not just provide or give everyone on that team, including the coach, um, everything that they would want? Um, because obviously, winning will you know bring in the money and bring in the fans and bringing all the deals, right? So I'm not sure if that was different. Uh, before obviously now um, the Warriors or the Raptors would do anything and everything to keep players uh, so that they can have that continued success because then that brings in everything else as well yeah I think what I find crazy is there are franchises that won't win a championship for 20 30 even 40 years and here you have a team on the verge of a three-peat but regardless your GM is openly speaking to the public and talking about a potential rebuild, like I find that just outrageous. Yeah, I think it also it was a relationship between all of them that had gone, what, almost 10 plus years maybe. Um, if you don't count in the, the retirement years for Jordan. So I think that, that part of it uh, plays in it too. It's just they were, worn, they were worn out and kind of tired of each other. So it didn't, didn't matter who... Um, if they had won all those games and if they, well, they did win the championship, but yeah, they, Phil Jackson was going to get fired regardless. I love how he named or created a theme for the season, um, which was the last dance. And I love how there was this like us versus them mentality with like coaching staff and players versus front offices or front office. It was, I think that was the fuel but what was your thoughts? Like Jerry Krause gets hammered in this episode. What were your thoughts on him? Um, so yeah, it's it is a little funny to watch him um, interact with Jordan and Pippen. They're kind of mocking him throughout like the first few episodes. Dude, they're flat out making fun yeah, of him. Yeah, on the bus, and I think they mentioned that uh, Pippen took it a little too far uh, one time on the bus. But I will give them this. I know that they go into it a little more um, in the third and fourth episode. 
But Krause is a G man. He was what a a White Sox scout uh, in the eight, like the early eighties, and then the the Bulls GM uh, position uh, came up after they fired Rob Thorne, and somehow he spoke or ha- like spoke himself into that position, um, getting Reinsdorf to hire him, and really he uh, the year before is when they drafted Jordan, so he kind of inherited. Michael Jordan, but he didn't, obviously no one knew he was going to be this good. Um, and he made really significant and um, great uh, decisions throughout the, the 10, 15 years that, um, that led to whatever the, the last championship. They uh, traded for Scottie Pippen. Uh, they brought Tony Kukoc over, um, who was, you know, established in Europe and basically asked him to be a six man on this, on, on their second, uh, dynasty team. Uh, they were able to lure Rodman when he was at his lowest, uh, value when he was with San, or San Antonio. And he had been a two time defensive player of the year. This guy was averaging like 18 rebounds per game, uh, with Detroit. So not too far removed from that. Um, and they were just able to surround Jordan with really the most complimentary players he could have find someone like Pippen who can do all the um, playmaking, you know, give you some some buckets, but also rebound for you. And then find someone like Rodman, who's kind of a one in a million player who's just going to play his ass off, um, rebound um, again, another two time defensive player of the year. So he just surrounded this team with um, long defensive minded players and allowed Jordan just to kind of be the focal point. He also. Um, in the documentary, he mentions that, or he doesn't mention, but he fires, um, what's his name? The, the, the first coach, uh, fuck, sorry, I'm blanking on that, but, uh, sorry, Doug Collins. So he fires Doug Collins, who took the Bulls to the, you know, past the first round for the, for the first time in many years. And then he fires him after that season and brings in, uh, Phil Jackson. And that's another big move. That's like um, Mark. That's like the Golden State Warriors firing Mark Jackson and bringing Steve Kerr, or the Raptors firing Masai Ujiri and bringing in um, Nick Nurse. You know, that's the type of level of move that he made. And those were kind of questionable moves at that time, uh, but really they were the perfect move for this team and got them got them to where they are. So sorry that was a bit of a rant, but I think he deserves a little more credit i don't think obviously he's not alive to uh defend himself but this guy kind of worked his way into the organization built this team up everyone got the attention that they deserved but i feel like he was slighted a little bit but he put this team together he made all these trades even traded oakley away for um what is it uh bill cartwright so again just these little small moves that added up to a much bigger picture and the dynasty that it became yeah, I mean, let's not go too far ahead, but I think one thing you'll notice throughout the documentary, it's really cool because you will see instances where you think he's a nut bar, and, and you're right, like he had no problem being bold, um, but at the same time, he had a little bit of a Napoleon complex, so you'll applaud him for something, and then on the flip side, you know, you'll be like, what the hell was this guy thinking? You know, yeah. especially uh, when you have a team on the verge of a three-peat, and you're going out in front of the media and saying that, um, no matter what, it's Phil Jackson's last year. 
Like it takes guts um, to stick with your convictions like that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, I do want to just kind of echo that Napoleon uh, complex because he is kind of a short stubby dude that doesn't really uh, fits in with kind of the NBA culture and the NBA, uh, the image that the NBA wants. But again, to someone who's um, just so his will is so powerful that he's able to really uh, put himself in, in the right situations. Yeah, man, I think um, also episode one, it was really cool to see where the Bulls were before Michael Jordan. And, you know, I want to touch on that a little bit, but it was really, you know, once Michael Jordan gets on the scene, they hit the ground running. Um, but prior to, prior to him arriving, they were the Chicago traveling cocaine circus. <laughs> what the <laughs> hell was going on? I'm, uh, I don't believe that he didn't do any of that. I don't know. It's, that seems, that seems a little uh, crazy to me, but uh, that's funny though. I'm, I, that's, I'm surprised he even brought that up because that's like an indirect shot at his uh, teammates and you can just Google out who his teammates were throughout those years. So it's not like a hidden fact that um, you can't find out who those guys are. I love how it only took like three or four games, regular season games, for the team to realize who the new leader was. Yeah, well, again, he was a three-year player at UNC, won player of the year in college, won the NCAA championship, and made the game-winning shot uh, for them, uh, I believe, against Georgetown. And I think that perception of, um, obviously, he came in and, made a direct impact but at that time in the 80s and then the 90s even the early 2000s big men were the attraction big men were the stars uh, i read i read somewhere that only four four non like non um sh small forwards power forwards and centers had ever won the championship or the mvp before jordan did um within the 29 years so only four players that were uh, point guards or shooting guards had won that award in 29 years uh, because you just have guys like Kareem and Wilt and all those guys, Bill Russell, uh, dominated the league. And that's how the league was built. You just built inside out. You had your big man and then you had um, your supporting cast around that guy. So Jordan was kind of an anomaly uh, coming into the league. You know, Hakeem was drafted ahead of him. Uh, Sam Bowie. Again, kind of his name's going to be infamous with um, with that draft because he was drafted ahead of Jordan. And they already had Clyde Drexler um, at that shooting guard position. So that's why they didn't draft him. Um, and yeah, teams drafted kind of more for need uh, back then instead of having the having or drafting the best player available. So the Bulls really just lucked out. Uh, Rob Thorne even said, I wish this guy was taller because that's how the NBA was. Um, was kind of built around just that those big guys that um, will get you buckets uh, in the low post rather than shooting, right? Uh, so again, now it's totally different 20, 30, 30 years later, but back then um, the big guys were kind of the main, uh, the main stars and attraction for, for front offices. Yeah, and you know, like that North Carolina footage is amazing. You know, that's stuff that I hadn't seen before. Specifically, though, it was cool to see how much better this guy was getting year after year. Like he wasn't just adding one or two things to his game. He was getting considerably better every single year. 
and eventually becomes the leader of that North Carolina team. But I believe it's here where he starts to develop that you know, intense work ethic and that hunger for greatness that he obviously takes into the NBA. And, you know, even in his first few years in the NBA, you know, he's getting better and better. And I think that, you know, adding things to his game was something that he um, took pride in throughout his whole career. Yeah, he, he, well, he started off, hit the ground running as a rookie. I think he averaged like 27, 28 points per game. And in his third year, he was averaging 37 points, 37, 38 points, five rebounds, five assists, something crazy like that within his third year. Because in his second year, he got hurt, so his numbers were low down. But that second year was also when they played the 86 Boston Celtics, um, widely regarded as probably the best team ever, um, led by Larry Bird. So I know, obviously, if you're watching the documentary, you saw that they got swept 3 nothing in the first round, but Jordan dropped... 63 um, in an overtime loss uh, to those Celtics teams. So he really made his uh, presence felt um, early on in his career and really just rose to um, another level that no one's ever seen, um, you know, following those following those early first-round exits or even missing the playoffs within their first, like, five, six years, I believe. I don't think he got out of the first round. He didn't make the playoffs and didn't get out of the first round until his fifth, fourth or fifth year um, in the NBA and didn't win his first championship until the seventh. So a lot of his success and championships are kind of in the second half of his career, which is a little crazy too to think about. Yeah, that is crazy. And I mean, um, we'll get we'll get into it later when we talk about the Pistons. But going into episode two, I mean... They uh, make it very clear who it's about, you know, right in the beginning, um, where they just start going right into Scottie Pippen. And I remember Portland Scottie Pippen, but I didn't get to see too much of uh, the Bulls. And he was a monster. Yeah, he was, I think, first and foremost, just a defensive juggernaut, um, even when he was at Central Arkansas. I think that's what... Um, so Jerry Krause did a, um, a future, he was on a podcast with Woj a few years back before he passed away. And he mentioned how that was probably his, one of his, um, his best move that he's ever done was to draft or just to trade for Scottie Pippen on draft night. Uh, cause he knew that he would compliment, um, Jordan, uh, right off the bat. And again, this guy wasn't a offensive liability. He'd still give you 20 points a game, give you eight rebounds seven assists, um, and just was kind of that perfect um, second second fiddle to, to Jordan who needed the ball, obviously in his hands, quite a bit, but Pippen kind of did everything else. And I know in the, in the documentary, they show stats where Pippen's first in a lot of categories, steals, blocks, whatever, um, rebounds, assists, um, whereas Jordan obviously is going to uh, demand all the points and get all the points there, but... Pippen was a was a huge get. Yeah, I mean they they do a really good job of highlighting his impact. Like they dive right into his impact as a player, and then they do a really good job of con- contrasting how unappreciated he was at the same time or undervalued he was. Um, I found that uh, pretty crazy. Um, so the big topic of discussion is his value. What are your thoughts on, you know, his compensation as an athlete? And I guess one of the things, I guess I can just ask it as a question. 
a lot of people will sort of put the blame on him for taking a contract early that was uh, under his market value. But you come from a family of 12. You have a dad that's paralyzed, a brother that's paralyzed. You yourself have a history with back pain and you don't come from any money at all. You come from really humble beginnings and you have this multi-million dollar contract in front of you. Are you thinking about your market value or are you going to take the money? Yeah, you definitely take the money. Um, like, is it really his fault for taking the money? It's not his fault, but they also mention in um, in the show that Reinsdorf Ryan's basically told him, don't take this deal. You're getting... Um, you're getting the, you know, the sh- short end of the stick. Um, and again, obviously you can't blame, uh, Scotty for, for doing it, but he was also a 25 year old all-star when he signed that deal. Um, so again, you can, you can't really blame him, but he didn't, I guess he didn't totally see, um, the landscape and where the NBA would be going again, being on that Bulls team, winning all those championships, the NBA grew as, um, as a league, um, obviously, obviously with the help of Jordan and with Pippen. Uh, so he just didn't see that far ahead. And I think, um, obviously that's, um, whatever the agent's fault and just a little bit of like scenario and situation of him being again with, uh, with his father and his brother, uh, needing medical attention. And again, growing up very poor, um, $18 million is a lot of money. Yeah, man. I feel like you know, a little bit's his fault, a little bit's his agents, um, a little bit's the organization. Uh, but at the end of the day, his back was against the wall. And mm-hmm. when that type of money is presented at you, especially um, given your background, where you come from and your current family situation, I think you're taking that money nine times out of 10. Obviously, towards the end of the episode, they go into his resentment towards the end, which is fair. I mean, he was definitely pissed off. Um, but I was blown away by how professional he was at the same time, showing up every night and playing his ass off. Well, he did delay surgery <laughs> until the regular season uh, in that last season, right? So obviously, th- it, this is not his obligation. If you know he signed the contract, he's not obligated to to get the surgery done in the off season. But again, that kind of comes off as selfish. Uh, towards his teammates um or sorry to his teammates and it kind of i don't know that's that's a bad look kind of when you're when you're playing at that level and you know that this could possibly be your last season with this team um with all the whatever the circus um media everything that's surrounding your team and you again sit out and you don't really make an impact and you don't get into the uh, game until halfway through the season. Um, so I, I totally understand where he's coming from because he definitely got the, uh, shitty deal there, but you know, signed the seven year, $18 million contract and you gotta, yeah, you, even Krell said, we're not negotiating this anymore. So, well, see, that's the thing, you know, in today's game, I feel like with the way players are coddled, Uh, with player empowerment, which I want to get into later, I feel like management would definitely cave, but they were very adamant that, you know, they weren't going to renegotiate this contract. Like, could you imagine being a boss for a company? So you manage like 15 employees 
you're the boss and you're a good boss. It's not like you're, you're a shitty boss. Um, and you find out that, uh, you're the sixth highest paid employee within your team. Yeah, it was different. Yeah. Obviously 20, 25 years ago, uh, or even like 30 years ago, if you, um, consider when he signed that contract, it was just a different league back then. It was definitely more, the owners had, um, all the leverage they, they, you know, they, they knew they can get these players to sign, um, these long-term deals because of their background. And now in 2020, it's a players league coaches going to get fired. GM's going to get fired. Owners going to get kicked out of the league. You know, it's a totally different ball game. So can't really compare, um, you know, 30 years ago to now, but that's just how it was before. And, um, yeah, he was, I, I don't know where the status here, but he was the 122nd highest paid player in the league in 97. And probably was a top, I, I would say top 10 player. I didn't watch it, watch him back then, but just in the reading and knowing what I know. Um, yeah, definitely got, um, got screwed there. But that, or, um, Tuan, think about it like this. We, we were ta- like in comparison to this year or this era, it's now like a formality for a player to be involved in like a front office move, especially if you're a franchise player or like a stud. If you're kept out of the loop, you know, most players nowadays will get upset. But given, given how good MJ was, you know, he wasn't the best player on the Bulls. He was the best player in the world. And it, you don't hear anything about him approaching front office and saying, hey, guys, like, I'm upset. I'm the best player on this team. We need to pay Scotty. Um, at least it wasn't documented that he did anything like that, but I don't think he was able to. What do you mean able to? Like, like it I just don't wasn't think, a part of. I don't think of... players had that leverage. No, they definitely. Yeah, no, they definitely did not have that leverage at all. Like, think about it now. Um, a guy like Tristan Thompson, nowhere near as good as Scotty Pippen, and LeBron can send a tweet. You know, this man needs to get paid, and next thing you know. You know, a couple of months later, he's signing a $70 million ex- extension. Yeah, that's the same with like Ty Lue and getting David Blatt out of the, the picture there too. It's like, it's funny because we can like, we can call him like uh, the GM, like LeBron James, like the GM of the Cavs. Because that's like, that's a running joke, right? Like they, that's what happened uh, in his year with, with the, the Cavs. He, he was really the ones making the decision. And he's kind of started that all with the decision itself, kind of giving the players more more power because now he can move teams. He's not, um, you know, he's he's not at the the, the will of the the team anymore. It's like okay, I'm I, I know I'm the best player. I know I'm the reason fans are coming to different arenas to watch me play. And he just knew his value and his uh, what he brought to the game. So totally different, but um, yeah. Uh, I liked your comparison with Tristan Thompson there. Yeah, I mean, like, even a guy not even as talented as LeBron James, like, could you imagine in Portland, uh, say CJ McCollum was super undervalued? Dame Lillard could go up to the GM and be like, hey, I'm upset. We need to pay CJ. And a guy like Dame Lillard, again, not even close to Michael Jordan or LeBron, I feel like he would even have leverage in that situation. But I don't know, just a thought. Yeah, no, he he definitely would. Just the players are so so over overvalued um, nowadays, um, and just the, even the contracts they're getting now, 
like Steph Curry's making like forty million dollars a year or something like that. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, other than other than Scottie Pippen, though, I mean, you tell me what else what else you enjoyed about the episode. The one thing that uh, I can't help but remember is the foot injury. Oh, them talking about how he got hurt and then started rehabbing at UNC and just playing like started playing like two on two, three on three, four on four, and then played uh, full pickup games with uh, with the, with the men's basketball team. And breaking then, all the rules. Yeah, breaking all the rules. That man in today's in today's landscape, he would have gone killed, or the team would have probably been more um, just done done their due diligence, making sure that no one's out there and playing playing in a ball with him. But yeah, it's totally crazy. Actually, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Um, since we're on the topic of Pippen, and he's kind of always kind of been that that second fiddle. Who do you think? Um, who who resembles Pippen's game the most in today's NBA? Paul George comes to mind. Paul George. Paul like George. Um, just an assassin on the defensive end, um, and I feel like he's the type of player that can contribute heavily to a game and still fly under the radar. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I was I was gonna say Kawhi a little bit too, but then also Kawhi gets a lot of comparisons to Jordan too. He's kind of like a a mix of those two guys, because he's obviously defensive minded, but he's in, he can get you thirty points quietly, uh, and his game his game is very similar to uh, Jordan's in terms of just getting to the spots, um, rising up, and that mid range mid range game is his bread and butter really. Um, even just sorry, um, did you hear how T Mac was was on the jump? the other day and said that he was almost traded uh, to the Bulls for Scottie Pippen. No, I didn't hear this. Yeah. So the Raptors uh, in 98, um, I guess Scott were, were taking calls and that was one of the trades that were on the table. And then I think Jordan said, hell no, we're not, we're not trading away Pippen for, for this young young high school kid from uh from Toronto. So he could have been that, you know, that leader, that that other guy that Vince Carter may have um been able to use to his benefit to um uh towards playoffs. So you never know. That that's kind of like a revisionist stuff type of thing. So who knows? Jordan Knicks today. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> now his voice is heard, you know? Yeah, now his voice is heard. Well, yeah, I was thinking back to the uh, the rehab in North Carolina. That thing would have gotten nipped in the bud right away because with social media, there would be there would be footage of him playing pickup right away. There's oh. no way he'd be able to hide. Man, if Jordan, if social media was back when Jordan was around, that would have been crazy. Even the footage back then when there was that like the the media is just around him, like for every every uh, game at different arenas. Um, they're, they're asking about his retirement and it's just a, a, a huge crowd of people just all surrounding this guy. Now, if you have social media and everyone, um, having their phones out and just having that access to that information, it would have been, yeah, I, I don't know how guys even deal with that right now. I love even um, those. Sorry, go on. So I was going to say guys that aren't even on yeah MJ's level or even close to it. 
if you're a star, if you're a basketball player, you must get so much unwanted attention from anyone just because again, basketball has never been more popular and just your picture and your face is everywhere. Um, I loved, uh, I love the back and forth once they started talking about minutes restriction between front office and Jordan and how pissed off he was that they wanted to a sit him out for the season. And he was like, hell no, I'm playing. Um, if you guys want to lose the rest of the season to draft high, then, uh, you know, that culture is not for me. And that one conversation that he has with Reinsdorf where Jerry's like, imagine you had 10 pills and one would kill you. And suppose you had a headache. Would you take a pill knowing that there's one in there that could end you? And, and MJ goes, depends on how bad the fucking headache is. <laughs> Great analogy, off the, like, from Reinsdorf, but what a hilarious answer. Or just like, what a great answer. Great analogy, <laughs> <Yeah>. better response. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I mean, that's that's all that uh, really stood out to me in that second episode. Um, was there anything else that stood out to you? No, I think they, they pick or they, um, you know, bring out that side of Pippen where he's kind of undervalued, but you kind of know how important he is to the team, even for like casual fans. Um, like Judy is really drawn to Pippen and Rodman just because they're kind of those different characters. One's really quiet and the other one is really loud. So it's kind of like those, it's, they, they, they draw a really good image of a Pippen in here, um, even though they know or they bring up that he is getting slighted with his contract. And also the minute, mistri- the minute restriction footage is amazing. And the minute they release that restriction... This guy comes out blazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is that is that the end, uh, at the tail end of the the second episode? Yeah, Where and they, then they they show the they show the Celtic series, and you know, although they got swept, Jordan was playing out of his mind. Yeah, that record still holds as sixty three points is the most ever scored in a NBA playoff game. Yeah, man, that's a great stat. And that's the thing I love about this documentary. You know, there's all these little details that they're showing us. Like, for example, you got Jordan on a minutes restriction, and he's golfing with Danny Ainge, a player on the Celtics, the day before probably, I don't know, the biggest game of his career at the time. Like, what is going on? One, why is Danny Ainge playing golf with Michael Jordan? I, And, yeah, I... <laughs> Yeah, I don't I guess they they didn't have the uh the science behind that all obviously. They didn't have like doctors implementing rules on guys getting rest and what they should eat and whatever because yeah, this guy's playing golf. Two rounds of golf right before the start of an intense series against yeah, arguably the best the best team ever put together. Well, I think a common theme throughout this documentary and Jordan's career is that he's always playing golf. Um but this guy was just on a minutes restriction and he's playing golf with the owner of the opposing team <laughs> prior to a playoff game. Uh, again, something I just don't think would happen nowadays. I, I don't know if they're going to bring this up at all in the documentary or yeah, in the in the later episodes of these documentaries. But I know he had a big gambling issue. He was gambling a lot. And I, I'm not sure how credible... This was, but I like a long time ago. I read that the reason he um, retired for those two years and played baseball was because he was banned from the NBA 
because of gambling. So again, I'm not saying that it was true, but I I read that somewhere and I know gambling was a big factor um, in the later years uh, for him as well. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's still eight more episodes left, which is amazing, and I'm sure I'm sure they'll touch on it a little bit because it seems like that was such a um, like a big theme throughout his career and sort of fueled his competitiveness. It feel I feel like. Yeah, so let's dive into the next set of episodes, episodes three and four, and. Kind of give me your thoughts on what you knew of Rodman and what kind of new facts or things that you didn't know about him that were brought up in these uh, in these two episodes. Uh, to be honest, I only knew Dennis Rodman as sort of that eclectic figure in basketball. You know, the colorful hair, the, the hustler, the rebounder like the grinder. I didn't, I didn't know much about his accomplishments. Um, specifically, I had no idea that he played with the Pistons during the bad boy era. So it was really surprising to me to find out that he won two championships before Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, man, he was really accomplished before um, going to San Antonio, then eventually going to the Bulls. Yeah. He was part of that team with, um, Rick Mahorn, Bill Embiid, Isaiah Thomas, and they kind of remind you of the the early two thousands uh, Pistons too, where it was just obviously a a point guard who's going to lead the team and kind of be the floor general and Chauncey Billups and then Isaiah Thomas, but then you have those like kind of dudes rough around the edges and like Rasheed Wallace. Ben Wallace, and then Rick Mahorn, and Bill Embiid, and then uh, Rodman. So they kind of have that blueprint um, uh, with Detroit basketball, and that that's what it reminds me of. Uh, that 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 team that uh, Rodman was on remind me of, uh, of of that early two thousand Pistons team that I can relate to because I watched uh, them battle it out against the Lakers, against the Spurs. So I can definitely relate to them on on that level there. I love how they show that clip of Rodman in practice with the Pistons. And there's an assistant coach uh, working with Rodman. And then Chuck Daly goes up to him and goes, hey, man, just leave him alone. You don't put a saddle on a Mustang. Like, this guy had a completely different gear. And I was shocked at the level of physicality that that team played with. Um, Literally decking people in midair. I don't even I don't know how that uh, how that flew back in the day. Like, I feel like the commissioner should have gotten involved and like banned those types of fouls. But uh, yeah, they were just pulling guys out of midair and throwing them onto the ground. Like people would be on a stretcher nowadays. Yeah, man, people, you, you're gonna get uh, ejected and suspended for quarter of season if you did anything that, that we saw on the footage there. Like those guys were just really beating you up, like legit, just punishing you. When like consider the Georgian rule, basically, it was if he gets in flight, or if he gets past one of our perimeter players, you knock him on his ass. 
Right, because that's the only option that they had. Yeah, that was the only option they had. Yeah, exactly. And they did it well, man. They they were really the first um, team to rival Jordan early in his career, because um, when Jordan was drafted in what in what in eighty four, it was really the Celtics, Lakers, Bird and Magic for four of those five like four or five years there, and then Detroit kind of it was their turn. They were able to, able to beat the Lakers winning two championships in a row. So they were kind of the, that, that, you know, that grit and grind team um, that Jordan had a lot of trouble with. And they, they are definitely intertwined with this story because probably not, if not for them, um, he probably isn't as good of of a player as he is because he's able to endure uh, that physicality. Then he gets stronger, gets better, um, playing the game and then once he's able to get over that hump against the Pistons um, he kind of just runs with it and uh, creates uh, the dynasty that we see today yeah they do a great job of covering that journey throughout episodes three and four but um, just want to keep keep going on Rodman for a little bit like the guy was just a completely different breed Um, there was a scene that I had to keep where I rewinded a couple times Shona pointed it out and now he had been on the Bulls, and it's towards the end of the episode. And this guy's walking out of the arena with a Miller light around fans, around media, around teammates. And then he just gets on his bicycle and leaves the arena. That was such a badass scene, man. What the hell when he got is off going the bike, on? That was sick. That was, that was such a cool scene. But yeah, he's a nutcase, man. But think, think of like the... What's going through like the front office, uh, just the discussions around one, acquiring this guy, and then two, bringing him into a core of such talented players. Like that's got to be the biggest high risk, high reward type of move you can make. Well, that's the thing, and it goes it goes to it goes to our conversation earlier about Jerry Krause. Like here's an example of his genius, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in this situation. He was bold. And not only that, like he gets Rodman, Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, and Pippen in the same room before even doing the acquisition. So, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't afraid to take risks. And he, yeah, he wasn't able to, or he wasn't scared to swing for the fences. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's, yeah, that's a give and take with Rodman. And it's funny that uh, they do a really good job of um, hyping up the, the scene where he's asking for the 40-hour vacation. And then when Jordan's like, yeah, he's not coming back. And then they do like the, the uh, kind of the hour uh, counter where it goes up to 48. And then it's like 90 hours later, they stop the, the clicker because no one knows where the fuck this guy is. And they had to drag him out of his bedroom in Vegas to come to come play where they're at. And this guy doesn't skip a beat. Jordan's like, this guy was always on point. Um, even though he would do whatever, go on his benders, um, you know, get plastered the night before, he's always going to come in and do his job. And that's all they needed from him. Yeah, right? so a couple this guy, things. Sorry, go sorry, on. go ahead. I was just going to say that this guy just plays at um, a different level. He just has a different feel for the game. He's able to kind of turn it on and off whenever he wants to. And really being able to play at that level is a skill. It's like... Um, 
who would I compare him to? Kind of like a, I guess like a Kenneth Reed. Someone who's always running up and down the court, always going to try to go for the rebound, always going to try to dunk on you. A guy that just plays with an unbelievable amount of energy. And he was always a, he was always able to have that. You don't average 18 rebounds per game in the NBA for one season as a 6-6 whatever hybrid player without just effort. And I think that's his biggest skill, obviously. Um, and rebounding and playing defense requires a lot of that. Yeah, my initial takeaways with that was, again, social media. This guy goes on a 72-hour bender in Vegas. That's going viral immediately. Um, the other thing I found funny was this guy keeps drinking these kamikazes. I have no idea what a kamikaze is. Do you? Um, I don't know what's in it, but I've tr- I've had a bunch of those when I was in Cancun. That's Jackie's like favorite resort drink. It's just like this little blue drink. I don't know what's in it, uh, but it tastes really good. So you could shoot back like four or five and you're good to go. But I don't know what's in it, but it's good. It's delicious. It's delicious. So I'll give I'll give a shout out to Kamikazes for Jackie there. But oh man, Jackie plus Kamikazes—that's a deadly combination. Keep me away. <laughs> but yeah, I think with regards to Rodman, I feel like having guys like Pippen, Jordan, even Phil Jackson around him helps him out quite a bit because they're so good that they demand respect and therefore can hold him accountable. But you know, despite how high needs Rodman was. I think you can't deny the fact that he was super focused on the basketball court. And I think uh, case in point is when he gets back from the bender and Phil Jackson makes them run the Indian drill. Could, like, could you imagine being a teammate at that time and having to run because of this guy's decisions? Like that's bullshit, but you'll see that he actually uh, leads the way and it's up to the other players to actually catch up to him. So, you know, regardless of the decisions that he makes, he's super focused once he's on the basketball court. Yeah. And I I think Phil Jackson gets a lot of credit for that and obviously well-deserved because um, probably no one else would be able to manage that that many type of personalities um, in one locker room where you have Michael Jordan, then you got Pippen who's a little disgruntled, and then Rodman who's just a madman. Um, And even in, I believe, episode four, they mention how uh, Rodman and Jackson kind of have that um, that bond with like Native American, um, just that yeah their interest within Native American uh, interest and um, everything with that and yeah Phil Jackson calls him whatever the Hayoka, which is like the Lakota Native uh, American name for someone who walks backwards so someone who's kind of a little different. Uh, and they bring that up, and I think that I saw that as kind of a funny way for Phil to relate with with Rodman and his ability to manage all those personalities. Um, I think he gets, yeah, he gets the right amount of credit for for being that that head guy for that those type of guys. Yeah, I think Phil Jackson was a lot like Dennis Rodman in certain ways, especially um, off the basketball court. Like Phil Jackson was a lot different than other coaches in terms of what he was interested in outside of basketball. And again, yeah, like I love how rather than making Rodman an outcast, like a lot of coaches will do with a player that they can't get on the same page with, like think of Larry Brown and Iverson, um, Larry Brown and Stefan Marbury during the Olympics. 
a lot of coaches, you know, if you're if they're not on the same page as you, they're not going to bother finding different ways to relate to you. But Phil Jackson was able to find a way to relate to Rodman. And yeah, instead of uh, pushing him away, he he really brought him in and they they formed their own special bond. Yeah, that's that's a really comparison, a good comparison to have with uh, uh, with Iverson and Larry Brown. I forgot about that, but that's a really good one because Iverson, yeah, would be such a hard player to coach and manage as well. Um, but he, yeah, he did a really good job with um, Larry, Larry. Sorry, Larry Brown did a really job with him and the 76ers team uh, in their early 2000s. But you know what was really funny to me to watch. Just as someone who can kind of understand it a little bit, uh, was when Rodman was trying to describe uh, or trying to articulate the way he would think when he was rebounding. So like he'd be like, "Yeah, the ball hit the rim this way, so I'd go this way, and then it would hit the backboard, so I would go this way." It's just kind of like a as someone I guess who I consider myself a decent rebounder and someone who kind of understands the game in that way. It's cool to think. Um, or just to understand how he thinks, because I, I subconsciously think, think that way too. When I look back, I'm like, yeah, I, if a shot is long, I know where to go, or if it's short, I kind of have an understanding of where to go. Um, and especially playing with um, the same group of guys um, and playing pickup with you guys and whatnot, I kind of understand who's going to shoot long, who's going to shoot short, um, kind of where it's most likely going to go. So just kind of cool to see. Um, his thought process there when when he's talking about you know a skill that he's very very good at exactly like he's the best rebounder arguably to ever play in the game so yeah. you're gonna take what he's saying seriously but at the same time when he was explaining that I'm like you know is he a creative genius right now is he being like a genius or is he just <laughs> sort of off his rocker you know what I mean like- it's definitely both <laughs> it's just both I think it's a little bit of both but yeah, since we were on, like we were just talking about Phil Jackson, um, it's probably a good opportunity to go into episode four because that was sort of the focus right off the bat. Um, two things. One, I didn't know Doug Collins coached the Bulls. I thought he only coached the Wizards. So it was really cool to see him as uh, the Bulls head coach for that period of time. And then knowing later down the road, he was eventually the coach of the Wizards. He obviously had a good relationship with Michael Jordan. But again, um, genius or craziness by, by uh, Kraus. He realizes that he's got a head coach in Doug Collins that's very Jordan-centric in terms of the way that they play basketball. And at the time, you know, Jordan was officially the best basketball player in the world. But the only stain on his resume was that he wasn't winning enough or he didn't have what it takes to win championships like Magic and Bird. So Kraus starts exploring and realizes, you know, that um, Phil Jackson could be a candidate and starts having Tex Winter sort of groom him into the head coaching role, especially with the triangle offense. So again, you know, is it uh, is it genius or craziness by Kraus? Yeah, he he must have had such a good eye for talent and just ability the ability to not be scared to to make changes because like you said Doug Doug Collins had such a good relationship with Jordan he game planned 
around Jordan's offense. Uh, but they weren't able to get past the Pistons. Um, you know, they were, they were having trouble even making the playoffs some of those years. But Jordan would be dropping 35 points per game. So it's a lot like um, how Phil coached, um, coached Kobe uh, in the kind of middle, late 2000s. When Kobe would be dropping 35, but they would be sneaking into the eighth seed, right? Um, and then they obviously eventually got talent around him. But yeah, having Phil kind of come in, basically saying, hey, I know you've been the scoring champ for the last X amount of years. Uh, but it's not going to happen anymore because we want you to um, really take the triangle offense and uh, work with other players. Um, get them in position to score. Get them in position to excel at their at their skill sets. Um, yeah, that was an incredible and such a genius move by Kraus, uh, making that decision that kind of rocked that franchise, knowing that they had a really young, young and upcoming um, coach in Doug Collins, but making that move to to shift uh, shift their strategy and shift their game plan to something totally different. Very cutthroat, very similar to you, Jerry, having to fire Casey and then appointing Nick Nurse as the head coach. Um, yeah. Sort of similar, but you know the the create actually a really cool part in that uh, in that doc is um, Doug Collins seems like an awesome coach and a guy that uh, players would definitely get along with. I love the scene in New York. I think MJ drops like fifty or something at MSG. Um, Doug Collins is sweating his ass off and, uh, Jordan hands him a cup of water and says, don't worry, coach. I'm not let, I'm not going to let you lose your first game. Like that's so badass. Oh, so badass. But think about the optics. Think about the optics as a player on the bulls that year prior to, uh, Phil Jackson becoming the head coach. Could you imagine you got your head coach, Doug Collins doing his job and then there was footage of Phil Jackson and Tex Winters sort of off to the side, whispering to each other. I would love to hear this story from Doug Collins's perspective. And I feel like he was biting his tongue in the fourth episode. Yeah, he kind of implied. He said he had a feeling that he was got, that Phil Jackson was going to be the head coach um, in the following year. And he didn't go into it. He was very professional about it uh, during that interview. But... He basically applied that. He, he knew that something was um, going to happen and there were going to be uh, changes being made um, to the organization. Uh, but yeah, he did se- he, he did seem like a really cool cool coach and kind of a cool person um, uh, to be around. Even before this documentary, a long time ago, I don't know where I read this, but he was the number one pick in the NBA draft whatever X amount of years ago. I don't know how many years ago. Uh, before the before the Bulls head coaching position, but he was the number one pick for the 76ers, I believe. Don't quote me on that, but I believe that's true. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. So he's obviously been around basketball and uh, been playing and coaching at a very high level for a long time. But yeah, I mean, you know, Jerry Krause did what he had to do, um, made a coaching change based off phil- philosophical decisions, and... I mean, now the triangle out offense is highly touted as being a big contributor to the Bulls and Lakers' success. 
So now you have Phil Jackson and I knew he was different. Like I knew he had a different personality, different coaching style and philosophically he was different, but I didn't know he was different to the point that like he was experimenting with acid and stuff. <laughs> I didn't know that. I, uh, I have two of his books. I have Hoop Dreams and I have 11 Rings that I read up. So I know like the backstory behind uh, Phil Jackson and kind of all the extracurriculars that he's, that he does. He like, he, he meditates with the players, um, like just a very spiritual person. So he's, he's putting them, um, he's putting them in a really good position mentally. It's not all physical, right? Such a, so much of the game is mental and he's putting them into, um, state of mind where they're present and they know what they need to achieve and they need, they know what their role is within the team, either it be Michael Jordan having to score all the points or, you know, Bill Cartwright or Bill Wellington having to do what they need to do um, in terms of pick and roll or screening and rebounding and playing defense. They, they all knew their role. They were just a very effective, um, powerful machine that really rolled through the NBA because of the way um, Phil Jackson was able to kind of get them there mentally. Yeah, and I mean, he comes on the scene and obviously there were other contributing factors to their success. Um, obviously Jordan putting on 15 pounds of muscle, but he gets on the scene. They adopt the triangle offense and they get over the Pistons the next year. Am I right? Yeah. So they beat the Pistons, um, in the Eastern conference finals. And that's where the Pistons walk off and don't shake their hand in 91. But it was Phil's first year as coach, right? I don't, I don't remember that. I don't, I don't know if that's to be true, but I'm sure, I, I think it is. I think yeah, it is. I think it is as well. But yeah, I mean, the big, uh, the big controversy after the game, um, or actually just seconds before the buzzer ends, the whole team leaves the court. What did you think about that? Yeah, it's probably just being sore losers. What it is, what it's so you're playing at such a high level and you're competing with the best and you've always been this one team. I think they knocked out Jordan like three or four years in a row. Um, then he was able to finally get them. And I think it was just, oh, fuck. This, like, it's probably just their their mindset was, you know, it's we, we, we play this guy so much time, like so many times, we should have beaten them. That's probably what they were thinking. And they just didn't have a good relationship because they were such bullies on the court and no one liked them. And I think they just kind of rode with that, um, with that uh, persona. Yeah, it is kind of bullshit though. Uh, because the way that I see it, like you pummeled this team two years in a row and won two championships. Finally, they squeak by you. And, you know, you're not humble enough to at least shake their hands. Like you battled three years in a row. Um, they showed sportsmanlike conduct every year. And you guys leave the court and don't even shake their hands. I don't know. I thought that was a little weak. Yeah, Isaiah was on whatever one of those hot take shows and said, yeah, if, if I knew that 30 years later that this was the impact of my actions, I definitely would have. Um, but again, he's being put on the spot and he's kind of made out to look like a jerk um, in this episode. So, you know, he's just saying whatever to to cover his ass. Yeah, and it's fair. I mean, he was a jerk. Um and if he did 
shake some hands and didn't walk off the court, there's probably a good chance that he would have made the 92 Dream Team, yeah. which I think they'll touch on later. But I think that came to bite him in the ass. Yeah, I think it did. But I don't think I don't think that's the whole story. Because at that time, Isaiah Thomas was, I think, um, either like the third or fourth best player in the league um, when they were um, coming to the coming to a decision to decide who was going to be on that team. He definitely should have been on the team, talent wise, and what he was able to accomplish. Um, but again, I think he just kind of tarnished that his tarnished his relationships with. Pippen and Jordan and some of the other guys on the team. His his head coach Chuck Daly was the head coach for for the US team. So how do you omit your star player um off this team? But obviously it's because his really his shitty relationship with, with everyone else on that team. So um the ninety two dream team thirty for thirty is amazing as a side note. So definitely worth watching. I don't think I've seen the whole thing. I've seen like bits and pieces of it. There's a lot of good 30 for 30s um, that I need to really catch up on and watch. Just yeah, hard to access amazing. anything with like really good quality unless it's on like TSN or whatever. I'm not sure if there's like a uh, platform that has all those 30 for 30 stuff. It must just be on like ESPN um, online, right? Or just being broadcasted whenever... ESPN is on? Yeah, or even YouTube. I think some of them are on YouTube right now. Or are they? Yeah, and you know, I had no idea that the Bulls' first champ or MJ's first championship was against the Lakers. I didn't know it was a Magic Jordan showdown. Yeah, I I remember um reading about that or watching watching a video on that and I was thinking, fuck, it would have been so sick to have a LeBron and Kobe finals that never happened because LeBron lost to the Orlando Magic um in that in that Eastern Conference finals where he won that one game over he took that shot over Turkaloo and hit the buzzer beater but they lost 4-2 against Dwight Howard and that team uh it would have been really cool to to see that matchup had happened um but you know unfortunately it did not and you will never get that but uh that what that's what it reminded me of uh, when I when I saw or read that, yeah, it would have been really cool to see that. And I mean, I don't know for sure, but my opinion on this is, if Jordan was in, on the East in LeBron's position, I think he would have pushed to get to the finals. I think Jordan really internalized those types of one-on-one battles. And I think one of my takeaways from the first four episodes that I love so much about um, how Jordan operates is. He'll take things like comments that reporters make or comments that players make and he uses those things as fuel to win games. We didn't touch on the game five shot against Cleveland, which is crazy because that was such a a big part of episode three, an amazing part of episode three. But when he hits that final buzzer beater, he's fist pumping in the air and he's saying something along the lines of like, take that or like, Fuck you guys. And he's he's um, referring to some Chicago reporters that were counting them out of that series. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, basically uh, trashing the beat writers for Chicago who had picked the Cavs um, to win that series. Which, 
you know, it's not on them because the Cavs were were a better team last year. They had swept them the year before. And then, again, game game five, um, I believe, in Cleveland. And, uh, yeah, that iconic shot um, over Greg Elo that took them to uh, to the second round. So, yeah, very, very iconic. The breakdown of that scenario is amazing. And, you know, I guess Elo wasn't even supposed to be the defender. It was supposed to be, I'm drawing a blank, but it was supposed to be another guy who was a much better defender at the time. Ron, the coach Ron didn't Harper? acknowledge it. Ron Harper. Yeah, Ron right? Harper. Yeah. Ron Harper was then eventually on the Bulls too. So they've always done a good job of identifying good players on the other team and then bring, bringing them on to, uh, on to uh, their, their teams in the future. Yeah, that's a good point. Anyone that uh, gave them issues, they would just acquire. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, the last thing, dude, do you remember that scene where Jordan's just in like, it looks like a film room. He's surrounded by like four or five bodyguards and they called them the Sniff Brothers. Yeah, yeah. That He's is just hilarious. chilling with like four old big security guard men uh, prior to his game, just chilling with them. I th- so I think there's going to be more footage of those guys in the upcoming episodes. I saw like a little clip where they were gambling. Uh, they were gambling on something. Ah, uh, don't tell me. I'm trying to yeah. avoid these. No, no, clues. no. Yeah, yeah, no, no. It's, it's very, it's very like a small thing. So it didn't ruin anything there for you. But um, do you, I know this kind of out of uh, left field, but do you think with now how how this document is like uh yeah how the show is going and kind of the reputation of jordan is probably going to take another uh step forward and go to the next level um do you think lebron will ever be able to reach michael jordan's level if he plays at his current level for the next four or five years like the only the only argument I would have for LeBron is he's been doing this for so long, and let's say he plays twenty two years of high level basketball. He doesn't, you know, there's there's no drop in his game for the next four, five, six years, and he's able to let's say win two more championships, maybe not win MVP again, but always be in the top three conversation. Do you think he's ever able to? Um, be anointed or you know be debated as as the best because even right now people some people will say LeBron is better than Jordan, even guys from I forget who it was I saw on first take I think it was Lambeer, um who's the coach for our WNBA team now, he said LeBron James is a better player because he's able to get his teammates involved, uh blah 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 so like what are your thoughts on that? Because that's obviously going to be a debate that comes up. That's going to be a topic that's going to be discussed um, throughout this documentary and for the next uh, few years afterwards. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't think you're going to like my answer because I'm trying to I'm trying to avoid that discussion until LeBron's career is over, so that you can like at the end of the day really compare each of their body of work. But one of the things I will say is. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like LeBron is a very privileged superstar, especially from the angle of player empowerment. 
He's been able to really dictate his supporting cast on his own terms, sort of at the snap of his own, at the snap of a finger. Um, obviously, he had some really crappy teams in his earlier years with Cleveland, but for the most part, he surrounded himself by talent, by his own design. And I think that Jordan, instead of kicking down the door of the GM or the owner and demanding, he instead internalized the challenge to become great and just played with the cards that he was dealt and was able to, you know, win six championships, three back-to-back, followed by another three back-to-back. So I think Jordan, just in terms of a fierce competitor, I think he takes the cake for me. Good answer. Good answer. I, I agree with some of you, what you said there. I'm not, I'm not a like, I'm not a Le- 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 LeBron fan. I'm just trying to, just trying to like put, put them side by side. And obviously LeBron's career is not over yet. And he still has a lot in the tank. Um, and again, yeah, I w- there's just a discussion that I thought, or I just wanted to kind of hear your, your thoughts on that. But no, you make really good points. But again, jo- Jordan had really good, t- like a really good team around him for those years too, even though it wasn't handpicked and it wasn't, kind of a, a direct impact based off of his his decisions. And I totally, I, that was a great point by you saying how LeBron's kind of started the, the decision and now he's, you know, got Kevin Love to join his team and now he's with LA and Anthony Davis. So he's always um, catering to his to his needs and to, to kind of the players that he wants. Um, but yeah, I guess that's uh, that's a question that we can debate once. Once his career is over, but you know, I think LeBron does have a have a case there, um, just because he's playing at such a high level for so long. It's 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 crazy, man. And and you got to also consider that LeBron came out of high school and Jordan played three years in college. So, you know, I think that's that's a big factor in a lot of things too, where Jordan was able to play in a really strong system with with Dean Smith. Um, at UNC, and kind of LeBron was just thrown into the league right away. So again, that obviously affects how their career goes. But you know, LeBron isn't done yet, and I think longevity will play a factor in a lot of arguments as as this topic will come up a lot more often than um, after this documentary. Yeah, I love it because there isn't any sports on right now. Uh, first take and you know all those media outlets they're loving these uh, comparison debates and they're getting so heated right now but you know it's because there's nothing else to watch everyone's just everyone's focused on this documentary right now I love it yeah exactly exactly this is yeah this is our game seven of the second round right now (laughs) yeah man well after this after this I'm going to tune into episode five and six I'm pretty excited about it yeah same here Right after the probably in an hour, I'm gonna turn it on and watch it. I'm so excited to to see how it goes. Already been hearing a lot of good things already, so I'm excited just to turn it on and uh, kind of enjoy it while I can. And uh, you know, a few more episodes after, but excited to see where the story goes. Even though I kind of I kind of know where it's going, I I'm still super excited to to see kind of the storyline and kind of what what path they take. Um, for this uh, series. Awesome. Yeah. So next week uh, we'll do another recap on episode five and six, and then we'll continue on with our uh, hypothetical playoff bracket. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm loving it. It's uh, 
Let's get to it. I can't wait. Awesome, man. Well, it was good, uh, good connecting with you. Have fun watching uh, the episodes, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, we'll talk soon. Okay, see you, man. Peace.